All right, hello and welcome to Between the Liars with Marcelo, Austin, Josh, and Ryan. Today we're going to be discussing Mahoney Area School District versus BL. For those that might not be aware, this was a recent Supreme Court decision that deals directly with free speech and where students have jurisdiction to say what they want and where the schools have the right to kind of restrict their free speech. So to give you a little bit of background on this, the student in question criticized the school and cheerleading team with vulgar language off campus and was suspended for a year from cheer. Specifically, uh, she said softball, cheer, everything. And this was in a a Snapchat uh, on her story. So it was available to uh, a good majority of the students at school. So then the second snap said, love how me and another student get told we need a year of JV before we make varsity, but that doesn't matter to anyone else. So clearly this student was very outraged, feeling like they should have made the softball and or the varsity cheer, was not pleased with the decision. Now, the outcome is where the Supreme Court wound up getting involved because the school claimed that they had jurisdiction to penalize this student and remove them. And the grounds for that was that the student is engaging in speech that either harms the school, harms the teachers. In in essence, you represent the school. Therefore, we have the ability to penalize you for things. Now, where this becomes controversial and why this went to the Supreme Court is that because she posted this off campus, on her own time, and on her own social media... Why does the school get to censor this? And so that's kind of what we're going to, we'll get into more details on this later, but I want to pause and give each of us kind of some initial thoughts on that. Where can I get that quote tattooed on my back? Because I need it. Um, I I, Honestly, I I think my thoughts are going to align pretty much along the lines of the Supreme Court decision. Because I feel like it was very shaky. Uh, The the grounds for punishing the student didn't do it in school time didn't do it on like the school forum like they didn't pin it on the wall or anything just put it on snapchat they didn't i mean i think she she said well we're all we're all thinking right so i i don't really have any any reason to, to i think i think she she shouldn't have been punished and like that's definitely you know it would it would set a weird precedent and it i think it already set a weird precedent for that school in particular like oh i, I cannot criticize my team if i want to be you know a cheerleader or part of a, a sports team yeah, I think she was on the right track trying to stick it to a uh, cheer. You know, we got to really let them know how it is No, But um, I'm with Marcelo on this one. I think that the fact that she wasn't on school property, she was not at a school function. If this had been an official function, even if it had not been during school hours or technically on school properties, if it was something that was officially endorsed by the school, I think there would be something there. Um, at that point, she would be an active representative of the school. That would be something, I think there'd be a discussion there. And I think that she would be confined to not use vulgar language as she would be an active representative of the school. But she just posted on Snapchat on her own time. I really don't see the case there as presented by, what was it, Mahoney County Schools. I think that was the name of the school system. I don't really see it. And I think I'm with Marcelo on this one. Yeah, I don't, I don't think the school should be punishing students for um, activity off of their campuses. Um, they're not the police, quite literally. So what is the school doing trying to enforce standards of behavior on people as an arm of the government? Like, that's not the responsibility of the schools. So like, you know, on campus, there's an obligation to make the, um, you know, make the day go smoothly, make sure classes aren't disrupted. And I think... 
private schools um, have a bit more of an argument for the representative of the institution um, than the public schools are because the public schools are only like kind of an institution and we even play that game at the at the university level but realistically they're functions of the state government um, and so yeah you know there's definitely always the arguments of you know how to make sure to you know take care of um like say bullying takes place off, you know, off campus. I think that's something else. Like if there's conflict between students or something that involves the school in some other way than just someone expressing an opinion about the school, um, you know, then off campus things might be able to look into because, you know, then it's the school spilling off of the campus, but you know, the students should be allowed to say whatever they want about um, their team, their school, their, their teachers. Um, they're all adults. They, they should be able to handle one of their students being grumpy with them. That, that just is part of the job eventually. So then the verdict of this court is going to be a unanimous decision agreeing with the outcome of the Supreme Court. I also agree with the other three that I think that the Supreme Court made the right call in upholding the students' rights to free speech off campus. I think that the school was definitely overreaching on their grounds. And I think that this highlights a very important issue that's become more and more prevalent as social media and as everything has transitioned into um, like our mobile devices has become more and more prevalent because those while convenient and beneficial and all of the great things that go along with technological advancements, we also see that there is a blending or a blurring between what is public and what is private, because I have much, much less uh, hoops to jump through in order to make my personal frustrations public now than I did even five, six years ago, 10 years ago. So I think that this case is, I don't know that I want to say it's a landmark case, but I think that it was very, very important in establishing that students are not owned by the school 24-7 just because it can be tied back to the school some way. And I think that the grounds that the schools brought in this specific case were particularly shaky as well. So 4-0, I think it's looking like in favor of uh, this student here. So let's let's tie a little bit into the notable characteristics and just kind of re-highlight why we think this. So number one, she posted outside of school hours. This was not something that she did in school and both uh, Josh and Austin, I think, I think even Marcelo mentioned that if you're doing something in school and it disrupts it, that in most instances is going to give the school an opportunity to intervene. She didn't do that. She also didn't identify in the, the school in her snap. So outside of the people who know her and know where she goes, this is not tied to that specific school. The third thing is she didn't directly target teachers or students. And Josh touched on this. And this was the big one for me. She didn't single out a teacher or a student. And this is again where that blurred line I think can be problematic is what happens now that students can bully other students virtually off school property? Is that the school's problem? And that's something that they're going to need to figure out. But she didn't do that. And therefore, I think that particularly removes their grounds. And then the fourth thing is she didn't disrupt any school functions, which was something Austin mentioned. She she wasn't, you know, doing it at a game. She wasn't doing it at, you know, a cheer event or anything like that. This was just something on her own time. And I think all of those things solidify the fact that this was her own time. And to rule against her would have honestly been making the, the private too public and too much in favor of the school. I definitely think point three is... Um, part of what's important and probably one of the most important parts. But I also think it's even worth noting that um, I think it would have been fine if the student had called out a teacher by name or a particular team um, 
at the school. And I think that would have been fine because, you know, as I said before, like if there's some middle school or high school yelling at me because of a decision I made, I'm going to be real honest with all the middle schoolers and high schools out there. Every adult's taking all of that with just a tiny bit of grain of salt. It's just the way it is. Um, and, you know, let, let the kid express themselves how they feel like they need to express themselves. And if they're angry at the adults, that's okay. Um, I do think the bright line there is still when it like gets between two students. However, I still think it's like worth noting of like, where does this school actually get involved? Like there are probably plenty of verbal altercations that happen at schools that the teachers are unaware of and wouldn't bother stopping even if they were. I feel like even if that, you know, if you saw a minor verbalication, you know, between two students on Snapchat, I'm not sure that would still warrant like the students getting involved or the, the teachers getting involved. Because I do think with kind of the increased surveillance, there's been, you know, people make those jokes about helicopter parents. Well, I think we've turned into a little bit of a helicopter society as well as the more we observe, the more sensitive to some of the things we observe uh, we get. And I think that's been a lot of true with like kids' behaviors. I think we saw that in like the virtual learning, like where people had like dress codes for kids in Zoom classes. Like goodness gracious, people had you know environmental rules. You know, can't there can't be any blankets in there? The kid can't be in bed. Like okay. I don't know. I definitely feel like the K through 12 system kind of really likes order for order's sake at times. And I understand you're trying to herd kids, but definitely, you know, I'm still stuck on just, there was no person conflict here. It was just complaining. It was just, you know, griping. There should be no circumstances where that's overly problematic, even in class. Like if you want to complain about a class, that should be your right too. What if the student had just vented to her friend, right? Because in, in the grand scheme of things, as far as social media goes, Snapchat's one of the more private ones, particularly if you create a private story or you send that directly to someone. The assumption is that's not going to be shared. Now, she placed it on her public story, it seems. So, you know, she's obviously wanting some publicity, but it's not like she put it on Twitter. It's not like she put it on Facebook. So there was some level, it would seem, in my opinion, at least, that she desired there's some level of privacy that goes along with that. There's some, She wanted, obviously, all of her friends to know that she was frustrated, but wasn't just putting that out there. So in what ways, I guess, I would want to question, is that different and what grounds would the school possibly have if she had just been complaining to her friend, right? Like where, this is where I think we're getting particularly blurred and messy when it comes to social media, because clearly, I, I mean, at least as I've understood it, she would be fine if she had complained to one of her friends. But now that it's on a social media, it becomes problematic. I hadn't really considered the, um, I guess, the nature of Snapchat compared to other social media platforms with it being a more, you know, Facebook, you put it out there, everyone sees it. Twitter, if you put it out there, whole world sees it. But Snapchat, it's only the, it should only be the people that, you know, you have on your list, so to speak. So I don't know. That's a really interesting point. If she was intending it for it to go to a specific circle of friends, I don't know how that'd be a whole lot different than just having a conversation among those friends, so to speak. I know obviously it can go out further, but she had no intentions of it doing that. Posting it out on something like Facebook or a discussion board or Twitter, obviously, hey, whole world, look at my opinion right here. That, I don't know. I think that different in scope and scale of her intention, I don't know. That's something to consider. That's a really good point you raised there, Ryan. It's also notable that the reason that the cheer coaches found out about it is because this student was friends with the members of the cheer squad and 
So one of the people on the cheer squad, she saw it on the post and then showed it to her mother, who was one of the cheer coaches. So the reason the coaches found out about it was because of, in essence, a breach of the confidentiality there, right? Because she posted this assuming none of the coaches will see it. Obviously, if you're going to be mature as, you know, can we expect high schoolers to be mature enough to have this forethought when they're upset? I say no, right? But her assumption was nobody's going to see this outside of who I'm friends with. Then that breach of confidence goes through. Student shows her mother. This goes before the school. I think there's definitely something to be said about the procedural way evidence and material is treated in a, in a court case. And you think about how did the state learn about the student's conduct to uh, then enact a punishment against them? Well, they did that because one of the student's friends broke their trust and shared something that you have to add, you know, someone to see. Unless you go really out of your way to make your Snapchat public, you have to add someone in order to see them. It's default private. You know, it's not even like Instagram where you have to turn your, your profile private. Like you have to add people back and forth. It's the fundamental nature of it. And, and so I think that's also really striking, um, in, my, in my opinion, against the school of like, going out of like your way and you know against what the student themselves wanted like if you look at the intent of that student's message was it to defame the school no but because then of that violation of the trust and then showing it to someone else who did not have the poster's permission to see it then to make it into a problem about the school is definitely uh, adds another layer of you know what in the world you know are they doing here because i do think you know people use social media like levels of privacy like you know you'll add your parents back on facebook but you're definitely not doing it on snapchat like it's just it's just some things just aren't <laughs> going to happen and that's something that you know there isn't a lot of litigation around because a lot of the social media even in the minds of uh, the community, let alone the laws, people don't know where these privacy, you know, pri or pri privacy boundaries are on social media apps all the time. And especially when you have, you know, well, can I show someone's Instagram page or, you know, but then they have a private story on top of that and, you know, and their account's privated anyways, like how many barriers of privacy and what is the actual social, you know, consequence of violating those? I feel like those are, uh, that's a nebulous for a lot of people because those are just very undefined kind of parts of our social world. Marcel, you do a lot with social media and branding for companies. What are your thoughts on, you know, at what point do we see this becoming problematic for the brand you're representing when you're off the clock versus on the clock? I think it's more of a values thing. I feel like if you're espousing values that are not compatible with the brand's values, um, then it becomes a, a public relations issue. Like if I was trying to say baby pandas, in my job and then i went on twitter and i was like i actually hate them you know i can't stand baby pandas then my job would probably probably they wouldn't be too happy and for a more real example i guess uh i work in climate change and so if in my in my personal twitter i was like you know climate change is not real then they would have an issue with that for sure so i feel like it's more of like uh you know what are the consequences for the brand more than you know yes people should be free to say those things but also you know they will be responsible for the consequences of their actions to a point and obviously if i'm on a group chat with my friends um and i say uh you know just personal things there i would hope that they don't screenshot it and send it to that cheerleading coaches yes so i don't get banned I think that's another notable part of this case is that this this was a minor. She was 17 at the time, and it took about two years to litigate through the courts. So she's since graduated, and I assume, you know, <laughs> into her 18, 19-year-old range at that point. So no longer a minor. But when it's a minor, minors tend to have 
more freedoms that they have to give up. And and the main case that this was based on was Tinker versus Des Moines Independent Community. And this happened, I don't remember the year that this happened, but it was a while back. And the premise of that case was there were some students who wanted to protest and they were just going to wear a black armband. And so that was a silent protest that actually wasn't even disruptive to the school. And they were upheld with their ability for free speech for a number of reasons. One of them being the school had to specifically target them with their rules in order to override them. So obviously, you know, you're targeting at that point. The second thing was that the court again held, upheld the idea of peer speech. And for those who might not know what peer speech is, uh, that's going to be the communication of ideas through spoken or written words or through conduct limited in form that is necessary to convey the idea. So it's distinguished from symbolic speech, which involves conveying an idea or message through behavior. So in this particular case, not the Tinker versus Des Moines, but this one, it was a written form. And so they said, this is pure speech. They, they haven't you know, done something that was disruptive or, or even peaceful uh, in nature, like the Tinker versus Des Moines. It was just written, right? And then the Tinker versus Des Moines was a silent form of protest. And they said that you have to target these students. Therefore, we're going to uphold them. So I think what's important from this is that uh, the big takeaway from Tinker versus Des Moines, again, was that students have to give up some level of their freedom when they go into the classroom, like was just mentioned, which is true. But in this instance, the student was not in the classroom. And because the Supreme Court case leaned so heavily on the previous decision of Tinker versus Des Moines, one of my concerns then is that the Supreme Court didn't do enough, or at least as much as they could have in this instance, to really carve out a protection for students for free speech, right? Because free speech by definition is supposed to protect unpopular speech within certain bounds, right? Like it can't be violent, it can't target individuals, but if it doesn't exceed whatever rules happen to exist there, then it has to be protected even if it's unpopular or even if it has to be censored for us to talk about it, right? So I don't think that the court, in my opinion, went far enough in actually saying, here is where students are protected. I think that their decision was so nuanced in its definition that they basically came out by saying, in this particular instance, the student's protected. But what happens when we see, you know, a slight deviation in that. We don't see this as a case that they can lean back on and say, oh yes, in this particular case, students have the right to express themselves, it just has to be protected by the written word. It, it does sound a little wishy-washy at the end, like, because they, they acknowledge that, you know, in this case, yes, free speech. In other cases, I don't know, we'll see. And then they just leave it at that. So every other case, if it's a, a little bit different, will need to be brought up again. So I know it'd just be speculation, but having been familiar with both the cases that have been brought up here, does it kind of seem like the Supreme Court was, I don't know, I don't want to say leaving it vague, but kind of putting this issue on the back burner, so to speak, just kind of like file this one away, we'll get to it later. Or is it more just like, we don't want to give a definite ruling? I know obviously this is just speculation, but just to get your opinion on that. Yeah, I'll give mine and then I want to hear others, but I would say absolutely. I think they basically punted this. <laughs> Football metaphor, you're you're caught, you got to get rid of the ball, that's it. I, I think that's what happened. I, I think also historically the Supreme Court hasn't been making quote-unquote controversial rulings because they, are, particularly with Justice Roberts' opinion that their job is to maintain the unity of the court. I disagree with that concept. I think their job is to uphold the law. And if you can maintain the unity and a united front, great. But if not, that's why you have an odd number of justices so that can be broken. So I really think that they're just choosing to not be controversial in this instance. And I think that absolutely they've punted it, added it to the back burner. I don't know if it's because they don't want to be responsible or, or what the reasoning is. I, I won't attribute that to them and put words in their mouth. But 
but from their decision, it seems like they were very, very hesitant to make an actual decision that could be a landmark case where we can look back and say, this was established, students are protected in this, this, and this instance. And I know that um, at least the way some of the media has been taking it is, oh, this was a very uh, humble ruling from the court where they're not, you know, actually making a, a definitive case because it's difficult to do. And I would say, yes, but that's their job. That That's, that's my thoughts, though. I would say that um, one of the interesting legal gray areas that plays out a lot in American America today um, is students' rights at the school on and off campus. Because if you think about a locker, a principal, a teacher, the resource officer, or the you know counselor on campus, they can just go and search your locker. You don't have a Fourth Amendment and Fifth Amendment right to your locker. They can just go in and look even if you have self-incriminating stuff in there that should be protected by the fifth, even if they don't have a warrant, which should protect you by the fourth, they can just look at your locker. Um, and this is done for, they would argue safety. You know, we need to make sure no one's bringing weapons into school. We need to make sure no one's bringing drugs in there. We need to, you know, just, we just need to be able to look everywhere we want to. Um, so student rights are some of the most infringed, but also a lot of people look at it. And I think the Supreme Court looked at it going, okay, but how badly are they being infringed here? When it comes to, you know, searching your locker, the Supreme Court's never really cared much. I mean, even affirmed the state's rights to do it because the harm is a little ethereal. It's out in the way, you know, it does. Um, and it's hard to quantify what does, you know, kind of like this structural way of telling people they don't have privacy here um, or they're not entitled to privacy, you know, at, at this level, um, you know, to the locker, um, what that has. And I think, you know, this Snapchat kind of reflects it, that the student had a story that they had to add someone to get on. So it was private. And the student's privacy was just completely violated. And this administrator got access to content they shouldn't have been able to get a hold of. And and so to me, that's then not much different from the locker. Like, I understand like people why they want like all the safety like features in school, but yeehaw, it's America. The whole point is we're like, go dangerous instead of violating our rights. Stop searching kids' lockers. You're, not, you're afraid of the vaccine, but you'll let someone search your lockers. Why? I, I definitely think it's that punt. It's the the court's been unwilling to take that stance because it doesn't have, like, it's not a very pol- politicized kind of idea in the country. Like, you don't see on any of, like, the RNC or the DNC's national platforms, the presidential elections, student privacy rights through the K-12 through system. Like it's an ongoing, you know, issue that some people have, but it's also such a a moving generational issue too. Like there's no, in some sense, consistent advocacy for it because no one's ever permanently in the K through 12 system. Like someone is like a, you know, permanent member of their race or gender throughout life. And and no, no, no people who are in the K through 12 system can vote. So there's really like, it's not like they have a lot of, a lot of a say. There's, and so I don't know if it will ever get resolved. Um, I think it's reflective of kind of the helicopter surveillance, smart home, smart baby monitor, Life 365 track your significant other because you have trust issues um, that the world has become obsessed with. So I don't know. Surveillance state future here now. What about you, Marcella? What are your thoughts on their decision as far as were they punting it or being a little bit too cautious? I think they don't want to make a decision because I don't know if there's a, it is not clear cut because I, I know that there is a few things that I, if I was a manager at a school, how do I call them? 
principles, the principle, I feel that there's a few things that I would like to silence my students on. Like if they, you know, like, I don't know, fake bomb threats or if they were like screaming at another student or even if they were like, you know, bullying a student. I think bullying was a, an, an issue that, that came out. Or if they were like actively harassing people through speech, I think that those are some valid, very valid reasons on why I would want to punish someone in some way. So I think that the, the not trying to make a precedent for everything was great. Um, and, and I think I, I agree with Josh. I, I think it's not a very politicized issue. No one is running on high school freedom of speech. A lot of people are running on college campus freedom of speech, but uh, nobody's like arguing on high school freedom of speech. Like nobody wants races on that. I don't, I don't see that being an issue. I think this, what you just mentioned, Marcella, really highlights where I think the Supreme Court missed an opportunity they had. Because the Supreme Court can say, here's our decision, and then they can carve out specific instances of protections and say, so long as you don't undermine blank right. So, for example, they could say, students are allowed to say and do whatever they want on their own time, off property, and schools can't intervene so long as they are not bullying, harassing, hate speech, right? Like, they could carve out these specific instances. And likewise, on the other end of that coin, they could say schools are not allowed to infringe on these rights. Therefore, free speech, as long as it's not being disruptive, right? Like you can't get up and chant in the middle of your school rally, but you can have a poster on your locker that might not align, with, right? Like they could carve out specific instances. And because they didn't do that, I feel like it was a big missed opportunity. Well, in light of this portion of the uh, podcast, I'd like to announce my candidacy for the K-12 party. Um, we'll be <laughs> fighting for no locker checks, uh, unfettered free speech in schools, and popsicle hour every day. So vote for me. Again, I, I already mentioned this, but nobody who is in the system can actually vote. So I, I'm a, as your campaign man strategist, I, I, I can tell you that this is not going to work very well unless you target parents and, you know. Well, see, this is why I pay you the big bucks, Marcelo. I think we're going to have to readjust our strategy. Thanks, campaign manager. And I will exercise my free right to protest. So, you, Austin. I said love you. I don't know why my thing is bleeping me out, but, you know. I was wondering if, uh, like, how this situation could have been different. Um, and I think at the beginning, Josh said that, you know, she wasn't calling anyone out in particular. Because I feel like the situation would have been different if she was, like, you know, bleep the school. Instead of, like, bleep the school, like, F, you know, everyone. She would have said, like, you know, F, coach, this person. Like, she's awful. I hate her. You know, like, that. I feel like. That could have changed things a lot for the worse for her. In her case, if she was like, you know, actively making like like harassing and like making threats towards yes. someone in particular. I agree. I think that that would have changed things dramatically. And again, I think that's why the Supreme Court missed an opportunity because like this was a case in point of she's not directly targeting anyone, therefore she's protected. And instead, it kind of just leaned on it. So I, I have the a section of the verdict and I can read that and then we can talk about it. So what they, they ruled in the student's favor, they granted a temporary restraining order and a preliminary injunction ordering the school to reinstate the student to the cheerleading team. And then in granting the student's subsequent motion for summary judgment, the court found that the Snapchats had not caused substantial disruption at the school. And then this is where they relied very, very hev heavily on the Tinker versus Des Moines 
which the big takeaway from that case was, again, students and teachers do not shed their First Amendment rights when they walk into the classroom. So they said that because of that previous ruling, they're going to also rule in this case that the school's decision to punish the student and suspend her violated the First Amendment and then awarded her damages and all of the legal stuff, right? She'd have to pay her fees. But the big takeaway from this then is they rule on the fact that students don't shed their stuff. And I feel like this would have been a really great time to apply this to the digital age. I found the year 1969 was the Tinker versus Des Moines. So it's been math. Um, what, almost 50 years or so? Is that correct? No, excuse me. 60 years. Uh, <laughs> 69 to 2021. 40. Okay. 60 something. Almost 60 years. Is that 52? <clears throat> okay. 52, I think. It's okay, Ryan. I'm a communication ranger too. I understand. (laughs) I know. Oh, man. Math. Okay. (laughs) So I think that they had a great opportunity not just to update and reiterate the fact that students and teachers don't shed their First Amendments, but also say that applies to technology, digital media, Facebook, all social medias, students on their own time in this instance can't do that, right? And again, I think that we would find a different case if the student had posted it on Facebook and singled out the school and, I don't know, tagged their school. Uh, Ryan Goke is at such and such school and then, you know, (laughs) screw the school. I think that would make a big difference. But I think for this specific instance, they could have said, nope, this applies to the digital age just like it did back then. They don't shed their free speech rights when they walk in the door and they certainly don't shed their free speech when they're at home or walking out of the practice. I don't don't know when she posted it. The the time frame matters the medium matters too and um i was just reading a little more on the dissent because it was an eight to one decision and like the dissent also mentions heavily the fact that the court what you said ryan the court the court's not the court's not been keeping up with the with the modern times i mean obviously the previous decision was like 52 years ago and there was no snapchat in 1969. I would still argue on the behalf of a student to target uh, the school itself, call out a particular team or employee on social media. It's not like sometimes they're going to be saying like something, sure, just ranting about a bad experience, but just still let it roll out. I, I think it only becomes a problem if it's like harassment or like rolling, like repeated, like you know, they keep tagging some teacher every day, like, all right, you know. You know, so there's like difference between like harassment, stalking and bullying and like those, you know, you can target with, you know, vigor and with, you know, absolute intensity. But if someone wants to, you know, just wail on a class, like, you know, if I got a student evaluation at the end of the semester and this person just like, just told me I was an awful person for 20 paragraphs in a student eval, like, I'm not going to go like hunt down who that was and try to get them for that. Like, that's what the student evaluation is for. Um, now, is it polite or good fashion to go drag people on social media in general? No, it doesn't matter what's going on. If you ask someone and write a hate mail post on social media, 90% of people are going to look at that and go, oh, okay, and move on. And they're going to, th- <laughs> and the other 10% are going to go, you're one of those. Um, because that's just social media drama like that is just a clear sign of not, you know, people not, people not understand what that is. So if they want to take that path, okay, I don't think we need to be punishing them for it. Because I, I, I mean, if you even just think about like middle school and high school students, like those are the people who actually are going to tag one of their friends like or Facebook friends on like on a wall or on the public posts and then like write some diss track there. And you know what? They're middle schoolers and that's just what it'd be like. So God speeds part of growing up. You know, I'm not... <laughs> 
let them be dumb and kids. We don't need to come after them for it. They're meant to make mistakes. Like they should be able to do that and all of their friends should go, okay, that's a little weird. And they should learn from it um, because they're children. Like that's the whole point. Um, and we can suffer them a little bit of their nonsense while they're growing up. I, I'm definitely fine. If you if you want to drag your teacher on Facebook, I, I guess. I, I mean, I don't recommend it, but you do you. Josh, I think, raises a really important point on several of the clarifications, including what is the age of the students, right? Because when I deal with college students, that's entirely different. They're an adult, right? So technically, if they do something that's like a felony, they're going to be prosecuted as an adult. Now, not to say that this was a felony, but like there's a different standard for children and adults. Let adults be adults and let children grow up. I think I do agree with Josh on that one. I've got a humorous story on one of my teacher evals, which again, the audience was who? Me. And then my department chair as it goes across their desk. But the student at the end of the basic speech course evaluated me and said, Professor Gok should wait until he gets his degree until he behaves like a pretentious <laughs> all the time. <laughs> and that hurt because I was like, okay, first of all, I have my degree. Uh, <laughs> I was like, okay, not helping my pretentious aspect. But you know, that was directed at me, right? It's not like he blasted me on social media, but even if he had, or like if he went to rate my professor and said that, I'd still agree with Josh. That's that's their experience. And while I heavily disagree, and the student before that said the best part of the class was Professor Gok, so who's to say, right? Two extremes, where do we go? Um, the students who are going to post these things on social media or on some kind of medium, whether it be Snapchat or something else, they're usually going to be the most disgruntled. And I think people, like you mentioned, Josh, take that with a grain of salt. I think that where it becomes a problem is when, you know, maybe it's a branding issue, maybe. Uh, but I think by and large, Josh, I think I do agree with that point that let the kids grow up. I think that no one looks favorably on how cringy they were, especially when it pops up on their timeline every year, right? Like we've good, you've grown, but let, let the kids grow up a little bit. I agree with that, Josh. Oh, and I'll, I'll add one other thing. I think as long as they call out the teacher directly and they don't like target them and say like, I'm going to kill so-and-so, right? Where it's like a death threat type of a thing. Then I think that's oh, yeah. a huge escalation. But outside of that, I think even targeting, targeting, quote, I use that term loosely, targeting as in they call them out by name or even the school. I think that within certain boundaries, that's also acceptable. So I'd agree with you there too. Uh, do we have more thoughts or do we want to jump to hot takes? I vote for the jump. All right, we'll be right back with our hot takes in just a second. All right, well, for my hot take, I would like to offer that the student was not in the wrong. I lay the blame at the school's feet. My issue that I take with them is not so much the fact that they cracked down on the student, but the fact that they allowed, or one of the issues that was raised was that students could access Snapchat during school and therefore disrupt class by having this defamatory message be brought in the classroom, so to speak. Student didn't say it in the class. It was off campus. We've established that. But by people playing their Snapchat in class, that message is now on campus. I think the issue is that Snapchat was in the class to begin with, if we're going to go that direction. So I don't know. Take this aside direction. My issue would be the nature of social media in the classroom. Um, I would say that's more of a disruption than that particular two sentences of speech is a classroom full of kids spending time on Snapchat instead of actually doing the school. So I don't know, to take it on a completely different direction, purpose of school is to learn. The purpose of school is to study. The purpose of school is to be raised up and educated, not on social media. So just to hit on that peripheral aspect out of all this discussion, I think kids shouldn't be using Snapchat in the classroom anyways, if the school is going to use that as an argumentation point. So um, my hot take is students' rights aren't respected nearly enough. We got scared after 9-11 and we created the TSA, which has done everything great and made the country a better place and stops all of the terrorist attacks and is always effective. And we have kind of done that to, I think, our K through 12 systems. Um, and I think it has a negative overall impact on like the psyche of students 
remember one of my professors, um, she said she wasn't going to accept digital paper or the digital submission papers anymore. Um, and she wanted us to hand them in printing. And like, even if like we need to like come by her office and print them in the office printer before class, like she's like, yeah, just come and do that. Like, and the reason was because even when we submitted um, through our learning management software, um, even if she didn't have the option turned on, it always ran it through a plagiarism check, some variant of turn it in. And she did not like that. It kind of put this assumption of plagiarism on the students that then we are always inspecting and searching for. And she thought that carried like a really negative connotation about the relationship that the professors have with the students. And I think that's the same when we mean, you know, without reason or probable cause search lockers and backpacks and treat students as if their personal belongings aren't their personal belongings, that we let school administrators take their phones and other digital devices just because of they broke a rule, like fine, make them put them in the backpack, make them put it in the locker all day. Why are you allowing the state to take someone's personal property without a warrant? That's not okay. And, and, and people say it's okay just because they're students. And um, I, I think that is a part where we actually do need um, significant legal reform to be more consistent even in kind of the American ideology that people do have individual rights, you know, and that's what that is the, at the heart of liberalism. So my hot take, as I've mentioned, is that the Supreme Court didn't go far enough in their decision. And I think that they made the right call, but I don't think that they established enough of a precedent to where that correct call can be hearkened back to years into the future and be directly applied to students' ability to voice themselves and uphold their free speech on social media in the future. So I think that that's kind of the big takeaway that I have here. I want to make a quick side note uh, on the nature of this podcast. I think this is probably, I won't say it's the only one we'll all agree 100%, but I think that this is a unique episode in that we are pretty well in agreement with different perspectives. And I think that's another great thing about this is that we can have completely different views, completely different reasonings for things, and we can still agree on something. Not just that we have a great conversation, but that, you know, shocker, Josh and I agree like 100% for the most part on on this, this particular episode. So I think that, again, that would mean that the purpose of these podcasts is to educate. And if you didn't know that free speech was under attack and what was upheld, you do now. Uh, and then to kind of get back on topic, I would say, hearkening uh, back to Josh's point, students are learning, let them grow. Use this as a teaching moment. Like, I don't particularly agree with, with a cringy post. Like, I don't think that the adult thing to do is to go and, you know, blast them on social media. But again, they're not adults, right? And, and just because I don't think that that's what, you know, if you're trying to be a professional is the best way to do it, doesn't mean I don't 100% support the right for someone to be cringy, particularly when they're a kid, right? And I think that that's a learning issue as far as you learn over time to be more mature. It's unfair to expect them to automatically be mature, but it certainly doesn't mean that, you know, the state or the school comes in and strips them of all of their rights. So I agree with Josh there as well. I think this is a maturity issue. I don't think that this would be a school policing issue, right? So for example, if I was like, hey, we're all trying to be professional here. And when you do this, you're not only being unprofessional, but you know, you hurt us in X, Y, and Z ways. It's a completely different story than when you just suspend the student and then there's no longer a teachable moment there. I think that the big takeaway from this is that there was a huge issue of escalation on the school's part, attempting to grab power that they should not be having on very, very shaky grounds. And it shouldn't have been taken to, you know, the governmental level. But I would say, as someone who is typically in favor of keeping the governmental reach as small as possible, this is an instance where I would say the government did its job and protected the rights of the citizens. And for that, I will applaud them and, you know, give give credit where it's due. I think that it was used appropriately in this instance, although I have a few critiques. The outcome, I support. 
I think there's not a lot else to be said about the case in particular. Um, but my hot take is that I'll be a coward and say that I am happy that they didn't reach a one-size-fits-all uh, conclusion and, and then solution. I think a precedent like that could be very risky, especially for some reason that we've already mentioned, but for others that I might not even think of right now. And I feel like taking this uh, on a case-by-case -case basis might be what's necessary and what's right. Yes, of course, students should have more freedoms inside of their schools, but also I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that I would like those spaces to still be safe in some kind of way. And just because they're under you know, the public system doesn't mean that they cannot be at least a little bit regulated. So I will, I will be the, the one semi-dissenter that agrees with the, with the majority's opinion but uh, I, I do have my doubts, and I'm, I'm happy that the Supreme Court still has their doubts as well. Now, if you excuse me, I have a few right, my professor reviews that I need to change. All right, I'm sure you find yourself somewhere between the liars. We'll be back here next week. Goodbye for now. Yeah.